we grew up we grew up in a very conservative Christian family, um, but we found ways around that. So like, um, number one rule was if we were gonna play D and D, the only God we were allowed to have was Jesus. Jesus was our patron throughout Dungeons and Dragons, um, and then. If it was necromancy, it was the name was changed to resurrection, and you can only resurrect people through the spirit of Christ uh, to come help you fight uh, for for God. So that was that is another level of creativity. Yeah, that's what we. introduce the show uh, so people know what they're listening to um welcome to between lewis and lovecraft a correspondence episode with me tyler clausen um you gotta listen to my ugly mug of a of a voice this episode not hannah uh but to save the day i have stephanie of it, it's shing cartography right correct all right, cool. I always have to mess up the intro somehow to make it interesting. But Stephanie, welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah. Do you want to introduce yourself just a little bit and and let people know like why I brought you on? <laughs> Not sure why. I think it has something to do with your interest in my artwork. But my name is Shing. I am a fantasy cartographer and illustrator. And Shing is a shortened um what's the word acronym i guess or monogram it's shing is short for my full name for, stephanie yeah. h ingmeyer nice okay cool um and yeah so you you draw maps um and you do a lot of super cool artwork through that uh which i've been following for probably a year year and a half now um and but then on top of that you do a lot of traveling and and that was something where like I started following you for the artwork, but then I, I, I would see your, um, your travel stuff pop up on Instagram all the time. And I didn't put the two together <laughs> for the longest time. I would just be like, Oh, that's cool. That, you know, this person's here. And then I would like the next post, I'd see your cartography, your, your map making. And I'm like, Oh, that's super cool. Look at that map. And then it wasn't until like a month ago that I was like, these are the same person. <laughs> Yes. So when I was 25, I saw a picture of the island from James Bond movie, James Bond Island, Pangma, and I knew I had to go. And so I did everything I could so that I could go to Thailand and see this island. And and that's one of like my favorite pictures is me just sitting in front of that like iconic picture of that yeah. iconic island rock. Yeah. That's so cool. Have you so like the one the one that I really have wanted to go to um, was the island from um, the start the new Star Wars movies uh, where Luke hangs out. Um, oh, and is that in Scotland or Ireland? I think it's Ireland. Uh, but you know what? I'm I'm a, a classic ignorant American, so it's it's somewhere over there <laughs> uh, in the Great Britain area. Um, so, but yeah, it, it just looks super cool. Uh, and that's one of those, I think it's fun. Like, I think everybody has that, right? Or it's like, I want to go there. That's a really cool place. Um, Funny story. One of the places I've always wanted to like go to, but it's a C plot adventure in mind, is from my high school geometry book. There is a picture of the giant causeway. And I, that's one place I want to go. I'm pretty sure that's also in Ireland or Scotland. I is can't it, remember which. Is that where all those giant steps are, like on the side of the cliff or something like that? It's like where the rocks form into hexagonal yeah, like yeah. shapes and they stack up. Right. And that's, yeah, I've always wanted to go there. And it's because of my geometry book in high school. I mean, you never know where inspiration is going to come from, right? That's That's super cool. Because I'm sure, yeah, that would be that would be a good geometry thing, right? These rocks are made into hexagons, and that's cool. <laughs> so, um, so we got a few topics to talk about today. Um, because I I did ask, you know, what what are some of your favorite books and authors, and um, you 
You talked about one, um, and I did get to start listening to Sword of Thieves. Thieve of Swords, sorry, backwards. Uh, oh, awesome. Are you listening to the audiobook? I am listening to the audiobook. Oh, good. So the, we'll... the reader's voice is so wonderful. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, it's really good. Like, I, I, as someone who listens to a lot of audiobooks, uh, I've heard some really bad ones out there. Um, I've also heard some that are just like, okay, they're getting the job done. This guy is doing a really good job. Um, and there's some stuff in it that I really have enjoyed. I'm not that far into it. I think I'm maybe maybe a fourth of the way into it. Um, and already I'm like, how is this going to be 20 hours long? That in the Just in the first five hours, it felt like a full book. I don't understand how he can do more twists and turns to keep me <laughs> interested. So I am really excited. Um, we'll talk about him um, and then... You know, I, I really I want to go into into you a little bit and and what it's like for you to, to go on these journeys, these explorations uh, in real life, because I sit in a podcast studio all day and do nothing. <laughs> um, so I need to live vicariously through you. And, and I want to know if that translates into your cartography, which is so cool to talk to someone who's a cartographer because who is that nowadays? Nobody does that. Um, so let's start with your. Let's start with Young Shing. What what was Young Shing like, um, and how did we get to where where you are now? So it starts with my grandfather. He used to call himself the Sojourner, and he would never stop traveling. He he had grandkids across the country, and so every now and then, Grandpa would just show up. Mm-hmm. But then that also carried on to my mother, and my mother is a travel bug. She right now is in Oklahoma because she's visiting her stepmother. And so when we were kids, what my mother would do would save up, and then she bought a minivan, and she would take us five kids across the country. So one year, we would go to California to the mountains in the middle of nowhere, California, and visit my grandfather who lived in a no electricity water tower little ranch land up in the mountains of california and then the next summer we would go to branson missouri to visit my grandmother who was a uh, she's a stage actress and she was a director and she would write plays and so every summer was so fun because i would either go to the beach or the mountains or to go see nebraska or missouri yeah and that's every summer of my life up until I was 12, we moved to Nebraska. Okay. And then we would either go to Tucson or we'd go to California because I was born and raised in Tucson. I still have siblings there. And so I don't think there is a single year of my life that I've never, I've never done an out-of-state travel. Hmm. I started driving cross-country when I was 14, and I've done multiple, multiple trips from coast to coast. That's so cool. And it's funny to me to listen to you talk about all that traveling. When I was when I was eight years old, uh, my dad packed us up into a U-Haul and moved us from where I am now back in Oregon. Um, he moved us all the way to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, and it was one of the most traumatic events of my entire life. And I and I wonder now, honestly, I'm thinking about it for the first time now. And I'm wondering if that is something that has um kept me from exploring the world a little bit more because that three day, four day event was like the idea of traveling that much was just so awful to me my entire life. Now I'm a home buddy. I'm in Oregon. I'm in Canby, my hometown. And I don't go anywhere. Like if I have to go even up to Portland, it's a, like, it's a day trip, you know, like to do something. Um, and so, but to hear you, like, you had the opposite, right? So that of those, one, you did it so much that it became a habit. And two, it was a good thing when you would travel around. And so you would have that kind of put into you of like, traveling is good. Yeah, it became a lifestyle rather than a habit. It it became a part of me. And now that I'm in quarantine, I was supposed to go to Japan in April. Oh. And it like that whole week that went like, the two weeks that went by that I was supposed to be in Japan were probably the hardest, like the hardest two weeks because it's just like I'm supposed to be in Tokyo right now. Oh. I'm supposed to be at the Hokone Lake, like looking at the cherry <laughs> blossoms right now. 
and I'm being a good citizen and wearing and not going outside. It was like before, like I, I hadn't gone outside for for one entire month because I wanted to be in quarantine, be safe. And it was just like, I was supposed to be out doing my best <laughs> life. And like, I'll, I'll just be a good person and stay at home. Oh, man, that's so sad. I, I genuinely can feel for you because I if I had the chance to go to Tokyo and then it was suddenly gone, I don't know what I would do with myself. Oh, man. Yeah, it's 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 rescheduled for 2021. I still have the credit, so I'm going to go. Oh, that's but... So uh, that's going to be interesting, too. Once like once all this the world basically opens back up, do you think there's going to be a floodgate just opening and people are just going to like rush out into the world? No, I don't. Um, I think that the one big change that we're going to see is in airports with because um, when I travel, there's a lot of different airports that have these security cameras and they measure your temperature. And um, if you're scratching or sneezing and stuff like that, and there's someone sitting in the middle of the hallway mm-hmm. and they're watching people come in, making sure you're not sick when you enter. Wow. And so I think we're going to see that in the U.S. And I also think that we're going to be seeing a lot more. Um, temperature testing when you get into airports just to be on the safe side that's crazy to be honest it's a little scary it's almost like something out of 1984 people just watching you walk around like observing but that's that's so normal in other countries but it's so scary in the u.s but any any little bit of freedom that we lose even if it's not a real freedom like walking down a hallway without somebody staring at you like just losing that it's terrifying to us because we've been conditioned, like, leave me alone. Let me do my thing. Yeah, The that's... open range. We're, we're definitely an open range country for yeah. sure. We like our big wide space. Yeah, man. I And that's so, that's so interesting, too. I, I'm sure we could go on. I could go on asking questions forever just about the experience of being outside of America. Um, I've been outside of America once. I went to Peru one time. Uh, it was on a mission trip and by mission trip, I mean, it was basically a tour of look how poor these people are. And then we all loaded right back into the plane and came home a week later. It was, uh, kind of lame. And my wife and I ever since then have talked about like, we want to go back to Peru so that we can experience it for ourselves. Right. Like, so we can, we can understand really what the city we were in Lima, uh, we went four hours out into Kanta, Peru, and um, we had one specific experience. We want to have a full range of experiences because even in going out of the United States, it just felt like a tour, you know? It didn't feel like we were anywhere different. So I, I could, like, what's the, what's like the biggest difference in experiences outside of America that that you think people either should know about or at least understand well so the thing that shocked me the most when i went to thailand was i was expecting people to be like rude to me because i was american i was afraid that i would get like people would be worried that i was a stereotypical american and when i went there there was a woman and she was just like oh my gosh you're american that's so cool you must be so nice (laughs) and i was not expecting that I was like, what do you mean I'm so nice? She's like, yeah, Americans are nice. And then I thought about it and I was like, yes, we actually are. Because <laughs> if you think about it, like when we go out to eat, we smile at the hostess and the hostess smiles back. When you go to the checkout line, we smile. We're this country that is this, like being polite is is something that we expect. And there's always going to be a rude person. Yes, I understand. I'm sorry. There are rude people in America and I'm very sorry. But when you think about the majority if you smile someone, if you go outside and smile someone, what is the chance that they're going to smile back? It's a huge probability. Yeah. We're a very smiley, happy, kind country. Yeah. And when we go abroad, the people that do go abroad are the people that share that. Mm. And so, yes, some people will think of us as rude Americans, but we're not. We're, we're really, really nice people. Do you think that that is a change in the generations, maybe? I think that might be something that just comes across the board, but we're traveling more yeah. as a generation too. I mean, it's easier to travel. We have internet. 
I mean, I, I spoke to my uncle before, and he was talking to me about when he was 20. You don't go to, you just don't go walk into another country. Your business sends you. Right. There was no way. He didn't even know how to book a, a ticket to another country. And mm. like my mom went to Japan because she was a Marine. And that's how you would travel. Either a business sent you or you signed up for the military and they would send you. Right. But now I went just because I felt like it. Right. And that's not something that we did 20 years ago. Yeah. And so I still think we're, we're kind, but I think we're spreading and traveling more than we did before. Huh. Well, that's cool. So um, getting into um, your map making skills, does your travel influence that or does your map making influence the travel or is it different? It's both. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to so, play some, some uh, jaws music. Just dun, 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 dun. so by the my time you're about to get bitten by the cat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's both. So when I draw, um, there's many times when I do what I call an original and some map that I create all on my own mind and own fantasy names and place and everything is all mine and there are times that i will use real world references to make sure that the landscape looks realistic or accurate and mm -hmm. so there are there are things or landscapes or geographical um continents and countries that I will not really trace but kind of practice outlining or like side-by-side -side drawing so that it looks real and it convinces you that this is a real place because it kind of is like the peninsula of Florida is one that I use every now and then to get that nice shape that's nice and mm. and rigged and then like doing islands I want islands can be a little intimidating because you don't want just circles or the same little jelly bean shape so yeah. I've I've looked at Iceland and Greenland, but when I travel, the thing that really helps me is the cultural differences. And so I went to the Erewhon Museum in, in Bangkok, and it's a giant three-headed elephant museum. What? And when you walk in, there's a stained glass window of the world, and it's beautiful. It is a majestic place. And while I was there, there's statues all around this giant oh, three-headed elephant museum. And there's just there's just so many different types of of, of people. Not, what are they called? Like, I don't want to say things, but there's mermaids and there's fairies and there's like mer like elephant mermaids. And there were just so many different fantasy creatures that I didn't know existed because mm. they're not part of my fairy tale lore. Right. Like a lot of my fairy tale lore is whatever came from Europe and yeah. that's brought over here to America because that's what my family is. And so going and seeing these different fairy tales that I could learn about and draw about was, was amazing. And being able to bring those those tales and stories into my maps. Yeah. And that's what's really fun. That's super cool. Do you, um, I mean, do you prefer to draw fantasy? Do you, you do real life places, right? Do you, it was a fantasy twist, but yes. Yeah. Do you prefer doing real places? Is it easier or do you like doing fantasy maps more? I feel like doing the real maps is a little bit harder because you want to keep things in scale to be accurate. And I've had someone come up and go, I just want to let you know that this, the distance that you put between these two cities is is inaccurate. Oh. Sorry. Oh my, my bad. I, I didn't mean to. Like, I added it last minute and there was a mountain in this place. So it got moved to the east a little bit. And so there's, <laughs> it's a little bit harder to draw real places. The fantasy places that I've made up myself, it's like, oh, man, I messed up. I'll just turn into a mountain. It's whatever. And then it's, it's gone. <laughs> but even, like, drawing, like, fantasy places like the Middle Earth map, like, that can be a little bit difficult because, um, once again, I had someone come up and they looked at my map and went, oh, good, your map is accurate. Like, okay, what? cool, thanks. Oh, no, no, it's just that I've seen people draw this map before and they had this place on the wrong side of the river. Oh, Oh, okay. My, I'm glad I'm glad I got it right. Thank you for keeping me on track there. Yeah, holy cow. And so, fantasy maps are definitely a lot easier because yeah. if you mess up, it's just oh well. Okay, I'll just cover this up, I guess. 
So there's even like a, a hierarchy of fantasy maps. There's fantasy maps that you create, and nobody's going to give you crap about that because you made it up. You can put, you can start with a lake, and it turns into a mountain. Nobody's going to care. But then there's those fantasy maps that are so established, like a Tolkien map or Game of Thrones or Narnia, something that's like people have read the book over and over and over. They've seen this so many times that they have that connection almost like if you were to draw their hometown or their state, you know, like they have that connection to it. I can see how that like that would be more difficult for me than doing a real me, someone who doesn't draw maps. <laughs> um, it would be more difficult for me to deal with established fantasy maps because you do have that. Like it, you can always just go look at, at a real life place and be like, Oh, I need to throw that in there. But depend, depending on the fantasy map that you're referencing, you might not get all the, all the stuff or the updated material or, you know, like this is just a version of it that didn't have the newest books content in it. You know what I mean? Like, yes, absolutely. And then it's, but like the fun part though, with established maps is that you can add things in depending on what type of fan you are. So like in the original or in most maps from middle earth, they don't have the location where Boromir dies. Mm. And so I always add that in just because Boromir is so dear to my heart. And <laughs> yeah. so like, that's one thing I add in and, like when I'm at comic cons, people will come and say, Oh, you put the falls in. It's like, of course I did. Like Boromir, <laughs> like that's Boromir's last stand. And so I've had people buy maps just cause like added that into my, that's cool. Like my version of the map. Because it shows that you care. I mean, like mm -hmm. just people like to identify with other people who care about stuff. Right. That's been, I, I had a t-shirt shop for a while and that was always the thing when I would I do artwork that's based off of something. It's never like a ripoff. I, I hated the idea of people be like, you should do a Captain America shield T-shirt. It's like you can go to Walmart and get that, dude. I'm not going to make that. I'm going to make something so that when I wear a Captain America shirt, only people who really like Captain America are going to recognize it. And then there's going to be that moment of like, oh, dude, you love Captain America that much. I love Captain America that much. Right. Like there's that that connection that you can make with a total stranger and yeah, passion is contagious right and so that's what it is and and i think that's exactly why people would would buy a map that has you know the fall of Bal B boromir because they felt that moment in the movie they've watched it over and over again like anytime i'm watching fellowship of the ring i will stop what i'm doing when boromir starts to you know defend <laughs> the hobbits because it's like, that's one of the best, that's such a redeeming moment for a character. It's so good. I can't stand to not give it the the attention that it deserves. So I totally get that. Is it a bigger deal in the books? I have to be completely honest. I never read the books. Yeah. Um, the reason why I love Lord of the Rings so much is that the movie came out when I was a preteen. Mm-hmm. And someone told me that I was not mature enough to watch it. And then the second movie came out and I was old enough to watch the second movie. And so I just watched Lord of the Rings, starting with Two Towers. And like, yeah. that's how I got introduced to Lord of the Rings. And I loved it. Oh, yeah. And so I remember um, we, we got a portable DVD player because we traveled every summer. Sure. <laughs> and so I would take the portable dvd player and i would hide in bed and i would spend all weekend just watching lord of the rings on dvd when it came out nice and so i think i've seen it so many times that the dvd actually burned out and like stopped <laughs> like it would skip no. and so when i watch it now i'm, I'm like wait a minute i don't remember that scene and it's because it's a scene that would skip and oh, i hadn't really? seen it in like three or four years because it would skip scenes and i just never caught on to it because <laughs> it was my dvd player and my dvd was burning out yeah that's insane that's nuts. I love that though. Cause I, I was kind of the same way. Um, I, I remember I was in like seventh or eighth grade when Lord of the Rings came out and, uh, I remember people making a big deal about it, but at this time I couldn't care less about reading, um, or any literature at this point, I was a solid video gamer. Right. And that's where my life was. 
people would talk about it at church and like, oh, Lord of the Rings written by Tolkien. It's a it's a Christian analogy. And I'm like, oh, OK, okay that's cool, I guess. And then um, we read The Hobbit at one point and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then Lord of the R- the Fellowship came out on DVD and I went and stayed the night at a friend's house and he played it. He's like, dude, have you watched it? It's so good. The second one's coming out soon. I was like, ah, I don't know. It looks dumb. It's just like, it's just like elves and stuff, right? And he played it, and I lost my mind. And I don't know, I don't know if it was like, I don't know what it was, but the universe made me watch Lord of the Rings, and then within the same month, played Dungeons and Dragons for the first time ever, um, randomly, um, and. I, I think at that point I just was hooked. It was just like, this is the greatest thing in the entire world. I got, I got all the video games for, cause I was a video gamer, all the video games for Lord of the Rings and replayed them, replayed them, replayed them. We would watch the, um, we would watch the battle of Helm's deep and then try to redo it on D and D. Like we built ourselves like a, like a miniature wall and we would, we did everything. It was crazy. Uh, so I, I fell pretty hard into that too. I get that. Um, so, uh, so you, you like fantasy maps and, and I think that that's, I I mean, I would, I would agree. What I like about your work is that you are able to take real life places and make them a little more magical. I think that's one of the first things I saw because I, I had seen people do their own maps for D and D. Right. And I was like, oh okay another map <laughs> whatever but i think it was when you did something that was like i don't i don't even remember uh it was probably two years ago you came out with a map that was of a state or somewhere real of colorado yes okay i wanted to say wyoming but i knew that wasn't wrong right so i didn't wanna... I, i've done wisconsin as well and arizona yeah so I, it was colorado um... for sure because it was like a mid midwestern kind of kind of state-ish area you did it and i was like all right (laughs) this is map making on a whole nother level (laughs) this is the coolest thing i think i've ever seen so what inspired that what made you take that jump so before i tell you i have to let you know that i have an amazing family and the reason why i've come so far and i keep doing shing maps is because my family they love shing yeah i mean everybody is always helping me i have so many people participating in shing behind the scenes it's not just me anymore my mother my mother has claimed herself as my manager (laughs) she is the one that gets me into gallery she got me into comic con and she tells everybody about me because she she's retired but that doesn't mean anything to her she can't just sit still so when she's not traveling she's uber driver driving and so she still is talking to people and she talks to people about my maps. Nice. And so she got me into Comic-Con and then my great aunt was like, wait a minute, Shing is going to be at a Comic-Con selling things? I can sell things. And so my my great aunt came from Missouri and sold at my Comic-Con. So if you were at the oh. Tucson Comic-Con last year, you saw my great aunt. And, <laughs> and then my nephews came and they worked the booth and like they were handing out things and helping oh, me out with my booth. and. My sister helps me out, and so my whole family loves Shing. And so my aunt one year was like, hey, can I get you to draw a map for a Christmas present for my son, my cousin, who lives in Colorado? And what she does in retirement is she drives with her husband on motorcycles from, I think she's on the border of Kansas and Nebraska, and she drives over to Colorado to visit my cousin. Mm. And so she asked me to specifically draw Colorado with very certain places that they go to every year with their son. And so there's even like um, a dotted line that shows the track that they take. Nice. And so that opened up a whole new door for me because then people were like, draw my state. (laughs) I guess I've got 47 more I could draw. I just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I think that's such a cool thing and, and something that people would really resonate with. I think if you're if you're ever able to, you know, if you get whatever states you get, like you need to find somewhere in that state that's willing to sell the the maps because people are going to jump on top of that. That's it's so cool. Like 
if I could, I would ha- I would be like, all right, you need to make me an organ so that I can have, you know, it in my studio somewhere and people walk in. I'm like, yeah, check it out. Lord of the Rings organ right there, you know? Yeah, that might have to be like a, a small project of mine to do a small book of the States of Shing. Oh, that would be so cool. And then get that cool. out. Yeah, that That'd would be really be really cool. That would be a really cute thing cool. to do. And, and like if you're able to – I mean, it it would give you an excuse to travel to each place, right? You go find, like, the really cool places that people would want to see. Like, we have um, outside of or, uh, outside of Portland, there's Multnomah Falls that everybody goes to. Um, so you could have, you know, like that in there. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. <laughs> I just re- – I'm really excited about this idea, and I think I think it's a, a cool, cool project that you could do. Um, okay, so let me see, because I did write down questions. So I already asked about traveling. Don't ask again. That's a dumb thing to do, Tyler. Um, let's talk about books. Let's talk about some fantasy books, man. Did you All right. Did you start reading fantasy before you started doing fantasy maps? So I actually was, and still am, a huge manga fan. And so I collected so much manga. I wanted to, when I was younger, be a mangaka. And also, I wanted to have my own manga cafe. And I Mm. wanted so that people could come and read manga whenever they wanted. And so I bought so much manga. I had, my first goal was to get a title with every letter of the alphabet. (laughs) And so all I did was just, I I still have it all too. Bless my sister, she moved with it from Tucson to to Texas last month. So I didn't have to lose any of my manga. Oh. But that's great. One of my favorite stories was my grandmother one day was like, Hey, will you go to the thrift store with me? And I usually say no because I'm not a big thrift shopper. And then I was like, But no, today I have to go. And I had no clue why. I just felt it. Mm. And we went to this um, thrift store and I found like 20 novels of manga in Japanese, a fruits basket and, and Conan case clothes. Yeah. All in Japanese. And I was like so excited because I was in Jap- I was in college learning Japanese and it was so cool to find this. Yeah. And they became treasures of mine. But I mostly I mostly read manga from probably high school to a couple of years into college. Hardcore manga reader enthusiast. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh I mean, I was all about the comic books, so I, I get I get what that's like. It's it's a chance to kind of allow yourself to, to read without the dullness of no pictures, right? <laughs> like well, you get also, to enjoy the like, art. I drew a lot of anime and manga in high school too, and there's when you see it so much, your mind remembers how to draw like the curve of the leg or like the bump in the wrist. And so I would read it. And the picture that I really, really like, I would redraw it myself to, mm. to get that muscle memory in. Yeah. No, that's super cool. I I am an awful artist. Um, but I I appreciate I appreciate the beauty of art and a lot of stuff. And and when I was in college, like I'd always liked comic books throughout high school, but I didn't make a lot of money, so you know, I didn't get to just go out and buy whatever I wanted. In college, I still didn't get to make a lot of money, but I didn't have my dad to tell me not to, so I just went and bought a bunch of comic books all the time. Uh, and one of the first ones I got was uh, Daredevil, who's my favorite superhero. And it was uh, uh, Daredevil. Um, it was like, I can't remember. It was around that time of, of 2008, and there was an issue that came out where he is, he's being like drugged or something. And he's running around trying to fight all these bad guys. And in like almost every other page, it was a different art style and they had different artists come in and do these different styles because it's these different effects of the, the poison or whatever that's taking effect on him. This is the very first daredevil comic book that I went out and bought by myself. And it, hooked me so hard and it was the art that got me because i'm i the story's interesting i have no idea what's going on because i just jumped in halfway through this story but the art was just so beautiful and the idea of playing with different art styles to tell a story like that that had me and so when i started my collection of of comic books it was about story it was about what stories do i want to read but more than that, it was about, okay, what artists are really doing cool things and which ones can I see like growing in their art form through comic books? So I, I told, I, 
coming at it from someone who just can't draw at all. I still get why artists enjoy comic books and manga and stuff. Art appreciation is across the board. You don't have to be a professional artist to appreciate and admire and love art. I agree. I agree with that completely. And I appreciate that. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. Um, so let's, let's talk about, let's talk about your favorite books, fantasy books. Yes. Are, Let me is, 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 is the thief of swords your favorite book or is it just written by your favorite author? I love the series. Okay. And so how I explain to people is that there are three novels and in each of the novels, there are two books, but they are all part of one story that goes across the years. Mm -hmm. And um, my family, I made everybody read it once I read this book. And I've bought this book so many times. Like it's in the windowsill for the next person I meet in person who I'm going to hand it over to. Nice. But right, Era Revelations, like once I read that book, it changed me. And I, I adore this book so much. This series is, is basically now foundation of who I am. Oh, wow. I think I found it maybe 10 years ago. I read it almost every year. Uh, I should... Since I'm in quarantine, I should probably read it again. Now that's also just sitting in the window. <laughs> I have it on audiobook. I love this series so much. So uh, uh, let's let's start with how did you how did you find it, and what was it? Uh, follow up question: What was it when you started reading it that really grabbed you and and <laughs> held you in? So um, in Tucson, there is a bookstore called Bookman's, and it's a used book and music store and that's where i used to get all my anime but i was trying to reach out and get a novel because i worked at a call center at night mm. and so late late at night it would get really slow and since we weren't allowed to have like uh, paper or pens or our phones because it was a pharmacy also it was a call center um we could bring books in late at night so i grasped all this book uh right here revelations and it was really thick and i was like okay yeah let's give this one a try and I fell in love with it. Um, so year of, I'm sorry, year of revelations or year of what? Now? Right, era. Oh, okay. And that's, is that the first book in the series? I'm pretty sure it's what the entire series oh, is Rira called. Oh, era revelations. Okay, I'm seeing Because it it's, so the basis of the story, it's about, so this is why I liked it. Because to me, it just seemed more realistic. I read a lot of fantasy book in which like the, the hero was like 16 and that's great for um, a young adult but or a, a teenager but when you get older you kind of want people who are realistically able to do the things that they do and so in this book it's about two 30 something year olds and they're trying to retire because they're getting into their 40s and if it's in the old renaissance medieval times that's basically an old man and they're trying to decide how they're going to retire from being thieves and what they're going to do to become good people because they don't want to be thieves anymore. And there's two characters, Royce and Hadrian, and it's very tropish and I love it all to pieces. Oh, yeah. Royce, is, um, Royce is a very grumpy rogue, yeah. very sarcastic, and Hadrian is just this mercenary who has a heart of gold who really wants to be like the knight. He wants to help save someone. He wants to be a good person, and he has no clue where he went wrong in becoming a mercenary thief. Right. Yeah, and and when I was when I'm listening to it, I uh, immediately m my mind as a D and D player uh, as a DM, I'm uh, I'm reading it and I'm categorizing each character, right? So e immediately, uh, Royce is a thief, right, uh, a rogue, and then uh, Hadrian is a fighter, you know, who who wants to do the right thing. Um, I love the just the very beginning. I love when they're telling the story of how they got uh, in and out of of this their last caper, right? And and, he, and he's like he's like tell him how we got rid of the of the rope, and he's like go ahead tell him, you know. And he's like oh I I shot it, you know. And they're like how how can you do that? And it just shows one that they're that they're good partners who accept each other like they give each other crap but they accept each other for their um their skills but then also like they are exceptionally skilled but then they you know they level it out and it's like well it's not like he did it on his first try you know like they yes. still kind of keep each other accountable but he's like a 37 year old man so if he's been 
shooting arrows since he was 15, 16. Yeah. He's, he's got like 20 years experience doing this. And so to me, it was like, okay, he does just on the whim, even though he kind of does. Yeah. But I mean, like, he's also someone who's, who's been in military training. His father was a blacksmith. Like he's done so, like, he's done so much training that for me, I like that I could believe that he actually shot a rope with an arrow from a hundred feet on his fourth try. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it sets up for a good relationship between these two characters where a lot of times, um, and again, I'm not super far into it, so I don't know what's going to happen, but a lot of times they set up these characters to be absolute best friends only to like, to just destroy the friendship through whatever the the plot is um and i generally don't like that because i believe that friendship is more powerful than and more malleable than just oh we're best friends and now uh enter the girl or enter the the problem enter this now we can't be friends or this is too much and i've been i've been holding you up this whole time it seems like these two guys are good friends and they respect each other a lot. And and that's at least what I'm getting so far. And that's what I'm enjoying about it. But like, I it also established that this is like year nine or 10 of their friendship too. Yeah. yeah. And so there's also a prequel too that I call year one, two, three, four, because it, go, it starts off like how they met and then the second year and third year and fourth year. And I like that the author went and started a prequel to talk about how it happened and like how to how they really cemented their friendship and the adventures that they went through together yeah. to build this this bond that they have yeah that's super cool i can't wait to get to that part <laughs> so um i want to talk about why i absolutely love michael j sullivan yeah so yes it's a very it's a high fantasy story there's elves there's goblins there's magic there's prophecy there's fighters it's if you love dungeons and dragons it's an amazing story it's so cute there's princesses and there's very strong female leads that i like as well mm-hmm. but the thing that michael j sullivan does is that he only releases his series when he's done with them and so like with the whole series done with the whole series he releases the books and so i know there are some uh there's some stories out there which i'm not going to bring you know directly (laughs) the mud but there's a lot of stories out there that we have been waiting a decade for yeah but no michael j sullivan has finished all like he will finish the series and then releases them so plot holes are filled b plot like succeeds and you get this like like you understand things and things finish in a proper way. Yeah. And so it's nice because media doesn't change the story. Like time differences doesn't change the story. The story has come out and it's completed. And so A, B, C, D plots are all fulfilled. Yeah. And then what I've also realized is that since I've read it so many times, there's tiny little eggs throughout the story, like little Easter eggs. And I'm like, oh my goodness, because that happened and this happened. <laughs> Oh, that's how they got away with it. Oh my goodness, how funny. I didn't realize that the 20th time. It took me the 30th time to re- reading it, but to realize that happened. Yeah. And so. So attention to detail. I, that's that's what really drew you in. And Because and I have that memory. Like, I'll remember, yeah. like, oh my goodness. Like, I remember you talking about those curtains in chapter one and chapter 30. Like, that's the type of person I am. And yeah. I, feel, I feel sorry for some authors that I'm like that. <laughs> Yeah, I as as someone who is currently writing fantasy, um, I'm I'm on probably year eight or nine of the first book in uh, a five book series, um, and the reason why it's taken so long is because I've already started writing the other books because I want to be able to be consistent, right, and to be able to be like, okay, all. All of this stuff that I'm writing in the first book, it it's like the seed that's going to bloom elsewhere. So I need to know what that's going to look like. You know, I don't want to just be like, ah, I'll write it when I get to it. It's like, no, I need to write that now so that I know how to how to plant that seed now. You know, and, and so it writing a series, you know, doing it the right way, it, it takes so long and so much effort because if you're going to do it the right way, like because you got to pay attention to everything you write because the I'm not writing so that I 
so that I don't have people read it. I'm writing so that I have people read it and consume it and talk to me at conventions and go, uh, but according to page 243, uh, you have uh, this character doing this and that doesn't seem right. You know, like I want to have that conversation. Be like, well, actually, if you read the next book, you'll find out why that character did that. You know, have that consistency. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> um, so... So you picked up this book by chance and it was the attention to detail that, that really pulled you in. Um, what is it that you try to, why do you want other people to read it so much? I think it's a wholesome story. And like you said, and then a lot of stories that the friends break up and they're not friends and they, they fight and then they lose that bond. But this is like, a lot of real intimacy in this book mm -hmm. there's friends that they do get into fights and they have to like have a moment to like be by themselves and reestablish themselves it's your friend losing their hope and dream and then you have to remind them hey it's like i'm sorry that something bad happened to you but you can't just give up on life and you can't give up on this thing that we're doing together we're, you still have to continue on yeah. even though that one dream shattered you have to go find that other dream that's going to bring you to the end of your days naturally yeah and a lot of stories also as a female there's a lot of stories in which girls get like weird situations where they can't defend themselves mm. Or they're not allowed to have a man save them, but sometimes you get saved by someone, and sometimes you save yourself. And so I have told my mother that if they ever make a TV show or movie of Right Era, I am playing Princess Arista. <laughs> I don't care. I am marching my way to California or New York, wherever they're filming. I'm kicking down the door, and I'm showing them that I am Arista. Nice. I love Arista. I love that she's this princess that decides that, I am a princess, but I'm also not just a princess. And right. she becomes this huge, like this whole character yeah. and a person. And you see her throughout the book grow up. And I like seeing the characters grow up too. You see, you see the prince who's 16, 17, 18, having to suddenly mature overnight. Mm -hmm. But you don't mature overnight, but he's trying to mature overnight. Yeah. And see him try and become this person that was brought onto him in just a flash of light, like enlightening. Like he became this new person and he has to suddenly adapt and how it's not natural to do that, but you have to do it sometimes. Yeah. And I felt like the way that they perceived humans or how he perceived humans was was accurate. And I could relate to a lot of these people in different situations yeah. and like how some people mourn and their mourning lasts a couple of days and some people mourn for years. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, absolutely. That's super cool. Do you, um, do you watch Avatar the last airbender at all? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, my wife and I make the joke, um, cause we've had the whole series on Blu-ray for like, five years now uh and we haven't even opened it because we we watched it so much back when it was on D on nickelodeon and on dvd and stuff that we were kind of like eh, whatever we've, we've seen it a lot and then it comes out on netflix and you know during quarantine everyone's just talking about it and so we're like we make that whole like that meme joke like avatar uh has had um avatar on blu-ray for five years waits till it's on netflix to open the packaging <laughs> Um, but we just recently rewatched it and man, I, I love that show and, and the, the character arcs, you know, that are in that show specifically Zuko. Like I get when, when I started the, the, um, when I started the book, uh, thief of swords, I get some hardcore Zuko vibes from the prince of like, I need to do what everyone expects me to do. Right. And but then at the same time, I like I can see something in them that it's like I'm hoping at least as as a new reader that he's going to grow into. I need to do what I for me, like I want to do it the way that I uh, am called to do it. So I, I don't know. I, that's just a hope in that character. I, it could I could be wrong. He could be the big bad guy um, for all I know. Well, I hope you continue reading it. Oh, I definitely will. I mean, I, I, I drive, uh, out of town for work a lot, you know, sometimes two or three hours. So if, if that happens, I just listen to an audiobook, and 
I've got I've got Thief of Swords and I've got uh, Dark Matter right now, um, which I don't read a lot of sci-fi, uh, just because I'm pretty particular about what I what I like out of my sci-fi. But I've had somebody chirping in my ear for a while now, telling me, "Dude, you gotta read <laughs> Dark Matter. Like you got to." So I'm gonna be giving that a try. Do you, uh, is there any other kind of book that you generally get into or is this, I mean, like, is this it? <laughs> um, well, just recently, actually this year, I've started getting into more travel stories. Hmm. So, um, I've noticed that I'm very, very, very particular with my travel shows. I don't like travel documentaries. Yeah. And so, um, my favorite TV series is Gap Year. It was on Hulu. I think they just recently took it off. Mm -hmm. And I like it because it's about a group of teenagers from two different countries. There's, oops, sorry, two girls from um, America and there's two boys from the UK. And they meet in China because the boys are doing a gap year or a lad's holiday. And the two girls are visiting one of the girls' family mm -hmm. because she is American born Chinese and wants to see what her family in China is like. And they end up with this 40-year-old man going through a divorce and traveling and hopping throughout Southeast Asia. And me being someone who's been to Southeast Asia, this yeah. is so much fun. It's like showing what travel is like. It's dirty. It's gross. Like you, Sometimes you're like, well, I'll just put together an outfit and wish for the best. <laughs> oh, they lost my luggage. Now I have to go find a cheap pair of clothes because my luggage is somewhere in this airport lost or somewhere in Asia lost. Yeah. And so I love it because it has these kids just at first they're like, yeah, we're traveling. And then you realize they have still problems that they have to deal with at home, but they didn't like leaving problems at home doesn't happen. They follow you there. Right. And so it's a travel drama, which I love because I travel a lot, but I've watched some travel docs where they're like, today we're going to go travel somewhere and we're going to spend only a hundred dollars a day. Yeah. yeah. I don't have a hundred dollars a day to spend traveling. Yeah, I travel, but I am a pauper. Like I have to save up for an entire year to yeah. go travel somewhere for two weeks. Have you? I can't spend a hundred dollars a day. Have you seen? There's a series. I can't remember if it's on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, wherever. Um, but there's a series oh. where these guys um, they travel from Seattle down to LA, and they stop in all the major cities for two days each. And the first day that they're there. They uh, work as Uber and Lyft and uh, like DoorDash. They just do any type of like traveling style um, uh, delivery and stuff to make as much money as they can for the first day. And then that gives them a chance to drive around, see the sights, you know, get used to the city a little bit. And then the next day they spend whatever they made on the first day. So like they go up to Seattle and they made like 120 bucks on the first day. So they spend $120 in Seattle and they're like getting the most expensive crab and coffee that they can like and they've talked to people throughout the first day to see like where's the cool places to go. I thought I thought that was pretty cool. Obviously you'd have to have like a a set of money put aside, right? To be like, okay, well we what if we don't make any money, <laughs> you know? But still to be able to I don't know, like make use of travel and to use the excuse of delivery or or working to get used to a city and see cool stuff and then just use what you made. I think that's that's kind of genius. How is that from being someone who's explored the world a little more than I have? Is that a viable thing or is that just totally like fiction? Well, it depends. And so in the U.S., I think that's actually really, really smart, especially if there's somewhere in the U.S. you want to travel to um, and you have a car. <laughs> um, because that's one of the things that people are, that that's very much so a real fear of people. Is what happens when I go there and I don't have enough money to do anything or I get stuck? Yeah. And, well, first off, when you fly, you have to have a return ticket. And so if you're going to one country coming back, that's nice. But if you want to, like, hop through all of the countries yeah it's a little bit more scary i haven't done that yet and it's a huge dream i'd love to just you know frodo it off in southeast asia <laughs> but i haven't yet but um you have to also just 
study the laws of the country because there's some things you can do in that country and some things you can't. And so there's always under the table, but if you get caught doing things under the table, you could permanently get kicked out of that country forever. Oh, wow. And so, but there's some things that you can do. Like you can, you can go and play your guitar on the side of the street, which I don't know how to do, but that's something you can do. You could try and babysit, you can try and tutor, you can try and do art. So there's always something hopefully you can do if you're in a major issue and you need money. Mm. But I had one friend who went off and he got his scuba uh, scuba diving license and taught people how to scuba dive. And then he went over to Australia and got a, um, I think it's called, I think it's called who? But it's when you work on a farm. Hmm. And so they, like, they'll give you shelter, but you have to work on their farm for a day. Or you can try and get like um, a traveler's visa and work at bars and such. And then he left Australia and then went to Alaska and worked on a fishing boat. And so he just <laughs> went and did a bunch of different things. Yeah. Yeah. Just to but you have life. to, you gotta, you have to learn what you can do in that country and what you can do on and off a visa. Yeah. Um, have you seen uh, Mikey Chen on, on YouTube before? No, I don't think I have. No, he, my wife, uh, loves his YouTube channel because uh, she she got really into um, like Korean culture and she she loves K-pop and K-dramas and now tons and tons of Korean food. Our house smells like uh, like an like an old Korean cottage out in the middle of nowhere because she just makes all kinds of crazy things. Um, but she started following this guy because he was talking about, I think the first video she saw, she, he was talking about the difference between, um, what's the Japanese beef that everybody loves? Um, Wagyu? 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 Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Wagyu, but there's a Korean version. There's like the Hanwu or something like that. I can't quite remember. And he basically did a test, you know, like each one. And he's like, you know, Wagyu, it's like the your first love. The, the first girl you ever fall in love with, you're always going to remember her. And there, there's nothing that's ever going to change that. Han Wu is the girl that you marry. <laughs> it's like you you love this person enough to be committed to them and they will never leave your side for the rest of your life and so that's how he compared them and from then from that point on my wife just loved his the way that he put stuff and so he travels all over but mostly he does asia southeast asia and it's it's half a, a foodie show and then half a travel show and i think that really kind of hits that bug for her of, of being able to see the world a little bit and experience it through the food that people make and enjoy throughout the world. Um, so I think that's something that people really, really like. Yeah. The, um, the reason why I haven't done a really, really long adventure yet is because pet visas are very difficult and I can't leave Kindred behind for more than a month. <laughs> I couldn't do it to her. I'm her forever home. I found her in a barn in Tennessee, took her home and she's been mine ever since. And yeah. so I'm pretty committed to her. It, a lot of people are questionable. Like, why are you putting so much into a kitten? But no, I, I get it. 100%. When, when the cat strikes your soul, it's it's there forever it's there's a bond there's a reason why most familiars for uh for people in fantasy are cats because there is this sort of i mean like dogs are loyal i love dogs more than anything in the world but since i've had cats because i married my wife i i totally get it um, so Stephanie, is there anything else that you want to talk about? I mean, I pretty much led all the questions, uh, you know, this was supposed to be a two way conversation. I pretty much just monopolized all of it. <laughs> so the thing with questions, I've noticed this about me and I try to ask questions, but it's a learned skill. It's not natural for me. Mm. And I had to ask myself, why don't you ask questions so much? Like, why do you just wait to be questioned? And then I came to realization that the reason why I don't ask much questions with people usually is that I wait for people to tell me what's important when I'm important enough to know that information. Mm. And I've learned that that's how I am. And so 
I, it's hard for job interviews as well because I have to like <laughs> research. Okay, what am I gonna ask them? Yeah. But usually I wait and I listen. I'm a I'm a listener yeah. for sure. I do have the gift on gab for certain things like cats, you know, regular revelations, manga. But usually I just like to sit and listen. So hearing you ask me all these questions has been like a utopia for me because I will answer all the questions <laughs> you throw at me, and then like five years later I'll have a question. Right. I'll just so get a usually, random email from you like, oh, hey, remember we were talking about this? Yeah. And and I think that's uh, that's why I like podcasting. It's why I like doing this is is I like to be able to sit down with people um, in a controlled environment. Um, and, you know, you and I are here just to chat. Uh, but it'd be it'd be awkward if someone didn't take the lead and just ask a question. Right. And I usually try to give time. I try to listen and, and, and let people uh, say what they want or ask a question back. But most people are like, you know, I, most people like to talk about themselves. And I like to hear about them. Uh, and, and my whole hope with the correspondence thing is that it feels like we're just chatting at a party. And we're, you know, just nerding out over in the corner while everybody else is, is doing their thing. We're just going to we're just going to nerd out about something. We're going to have that moment like we talked about earlier where we realize that there's that thing that we have passion for. Right. Whether it's Boromir's death or, you know, Colorado being turned into a Lord of the Rings map or this book, this fantasy book that you like. Um, I love it. I just love being able to chat with people. So. Thank you. It's a gift. It is definitely a gift to be inquisitive on another person, to make them feel that specialness without them feel like they're being interrogated or like having a spotlight on them. Yeah. To be able to have someone naturally feel good about themselves because you were genuinely interested is a marvelous skill. It really is. And I'm happy you have that. Oh. I'm on the other side of the board and I will listen <laughs> to you forever and years come by. Yeah. No, I, I that's, I appreciate that a lot uh, because I sometimes when I reach out to people like I've built like with you, for example, I've been following you for a year and a half or so. Right. So I've built you up as like, oh, man, she is like the coolest map making chick and she travels all over the world. She's not going to want to talk to some dinky little guy in a studio in Oregon. But like I have to get over that to reach out to people. Right. And so, you know, it, it, this has really made me. uh uh, express myself a little bit more to people I never would. And so uh, it has been really nice to just kind of get over myself and reach out. So I appreciate you getting back to me and and being willing to sit down with a total stranger over the internet and, and talk about nerdy things. Absolutely. I'm really happy you reached out too. Um, I'm a I'm a big supporter of local and small. And so whenever I can help out or someone has the patience to wait for me because I feel like my schedule is super jam packed all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 something that it's a fulfillment for me. So I'm really happy that I can help out. I want everybody to succeed. I mean, she started off with just a personal account for my selfies. Yeah. And then I just started drawing more and more and more and it became my portfolio. And um I guess I'll talk a little bit about my Instagram account because I get Absolutely. asked a lot how I got 10,000 followers. Yeah. And it was um, something that I decided to work on. I didn't just do – it's you guys for one. I mean, I'm not the one making the followers. If you guys are the followers. You're the ones that are making the Instagram happen. And, yeah. And letting me reach more and more people. It's you guys. And so um, what ha helped me a lot was I – learned about the algorithms how to do the hashtags and i set up basically a theme and rules for myself so if you notice there's no pictures of food or kindred unfortunately like kindred gets maybe posted like once a year yeah she has her own instagram now actually nice because i have too many pictures of her but usually it's just like a chat between me and my sister we just send pictures of kindred to each other yeah um but it's it's the community yeah. And the really, really awesome thing is that my community is now part of the Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder community. Mm -hmm. And it is the most accepting, loving community there is. Right. And so because I am fortunate to be a part of this, it's like, it's this 
like big hug that everybody has given me. Like you draw maps. We love maps. We love you. <laughs> and then everybody just loves everybody. It's amazing. Yeah, like, and it's it's there's... not like it's not like they're they're saying we only love you because you draw maps. It's they accept you for whatever you are, whatever you bring to the table. They just know how to express enjoyment for what you do bring to the table along with you yourself. It's honestly a community for everybody, yeah. everyone. There's no one that ever gets left out in the D&D community. It is total inclusion. Like everybody gets to be a part of it. And so that's that's I feel like is probably the reason why I'm successful in the least bit is because I am parallel to the D&D and Paizo community. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so cool, man. Just to be able to find find something that people really resonate with. Uh, I think that's what I've been searching for, especially with this show um, that that we do is is to find something that people are willing to to listen to and go, man, I I love that, or I really want to figure out more about that. Um, so that's I I think you've done a great job of. of cultivating that of, of something that catches people's eye and then making it interesting enough to come back to uh, so that's cool man um do you have anything else to plug before we get out of here you want to you want to shout out anybody or anything like that um i do want to say that i do have a couple more giveaways that i'm heading out or i'm uh, i'm brewing and so you should be paying attention to my Instagram because I am going to be giving out three sets of Easy Roller Metal Dice. They're beautiful. And so that is something that's coming soon. So that's a little teaser. I'm not going to tell you what day it is yet, but I do have another giveaway coming for three sets of Metal Dice. Nice. Very cool. Well, I'm definitely going to try and figure out how to win those dice. Maybe I'll wait till after the giveaway so that I can just, you know, be like, oh, yeah, totally. We, uh, we said that on the show. I just forgot to tell everybody else about it. <laughs> no, that's super cool, man. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for hanging out with me um, and uh, just being an awesome person and, uh, and doing some awesome stuff. Thank you. Thank you as well.